Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Hey there team, Oliver here. Exciting episode today with Raul Shuktli, CEO of Bond. We actually had Corinne, their COO, on as one of the first interviews in 2018 when they were smide, but I loved their approach of high-end shared micromobility. And with the recent announcement of a partnership with Freenow and launches in a number of new cities in Europe, I thought it would be a good time to get Raul on to talk about the segmentation of market and how they think of the jobs to be done of customers looking at high-speed transport around their city. Also, full disclosure, Horace is an investor and advisor to Bond, and they've sponsored our conferences in the past, though that has no waiting on how I think about this. Um, Before we dig in, I do want to give a plug for an incredible keynote that's going to be coming up on the 10th of September. Horace is going to be giving the keynote that he would have given at one of the micromobility summits this year, in either Berlin or San Francisco online, for anybody who wants to tune in. I've seen the decks and it is going to be amazing. It's a sort of classic Horace, thundering narrative arcs backed up with detailed data and beautiful graphs about the state of the world of micromobility, not just before and after COVID, but in the wider context of our transport systems. Talking about the debt, the pollution, how we allocate space in cities and then hits us with these beautiful graphs about how micromobility enables everyone to help solve for a better world. I'm so pumped for it. I really hope you're able to join us. It's going to be at 12 to 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the 10th of September. That's 12 to 1 p.m. on the 10th of September, Eastern New York, Boston time, uh, and make adjustments accordingly if you're anywhere else in the world. Um, You can get tickets by Googling Vito, that's V-I-T-O, and Micromobility. Tickets are $20, and uh, yeah, you will see my face as you go and buy a ticket there. I'm really, I'm really, really excited for uh, for this, and hope you're able to come and join us um, and support the work that we do here on the podcast, uh, and Horace has been doing, obviously, over the years on Micromobility. And with that, here's Raul. And welcome back to Micromobility. I have with us Raul from Bond. How are you, Raul? Fine, thanks. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well. Where are we, uh, where are we having you joined from, Raul? At the moment, I'm stuck in Zurich. Um, traveling is a bit harder these days, but uh, yeah. it's pretty nice here. What? What's going on? I haven't heard anything about this. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, awesome. Well, hey, look, I, I, um, I'm really excited to have uh, you on, mainly because I, I mean, we've, we've covered Bond uh, back in an earlier iteration called Smide when we had uh, Corin, uh, who I believe is your uh, head of op- operations, uh, uh, talking about the, the sort of high-end e-bikes back uh, episode number six. It was one of the first that we ever did. Um, I think it was our first interview ever, Horace and I did. Um, so, I, 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 look, we, I'm really excited to be able to cover uh, where you guys have gone in the last 18 months or so. Um, and uh, I want pro- possibly the, the probably the best way to do it is for you to just sort of introduce yourself and take us through what Bond is, and then we can kind of go through and, and kind of dig into the differences and the, the things um, about uh, how you guys operate. Sure. Um, yeah, actually, we 
have not only been one of the first ones in your blog, which I, I really like, but also one of the first or actually the first free floating e-bike sharing in the world, at least uh, to, to my knowledge. And this is, this is kind of important because early on we chose a different approach to micromobility. Um, you know, Lime, Bird, Jump and so on, they all came later, quite a bit later than, than, than we launched here in, in Switzerland, in Zurich and Bern. And the approach we chose was in more in the premium segment. We had this high-end e-bikes, S-pedelecs, so they go up to 45 kilo, kilometers per hour, so really fast one. You need, you know, a, a helmet and you have license plate, you need driving license, so really more a replacement of cars, so a premium segment. And and our goal was kind of to to test the market and to have an impact uh, on, on the cities and how societies move in, in cities and uh, in, in general. And we did that using these speed pedelecs. And this has uh, uh, been been very different to what we see with the other micromobility players that came a little bit after us uh, in terms of the business plan, the speed and how they operated. And, and I can maybe just, you know, give you two, three different key differences. And one is if you have a faster vehicle, people tend to go longer distances, which is kind of obvious. And and our average distance is actually uh, four and a half to five kilometers, so quite a bit longer than, than what you expect on, a let's say, a kick scooter on a station-based bike. And the thing is, if you have longer distances, you also tend to walk a little bit further. The willingness to walk further to the next free vehicle is a bit bigger. So we had this study with one of the universities in Zurich showing that in average, 66% of the people would go up to 300 meters to the next free bike. Um, whereas with kick scooters or station bikes, the vehicles, you would go maybe up to 100 meters before you say, well, this is too far away. I'm going to take, you know, public transit or an Uber or Lyft or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, which is great because you need, you know, less vehicles for the same utilization in, in the area. If you walk three times further, it means nine times less vehicles for the same utilization. There's only one catch. Um, you have to make sure that the vehicles are really distributed evenly. And this is kind of the magic sauce. We have developed a, a machine learning algorithm and a smart incentive system that ensures that the vehicles are always, you know, balanced perfectly that people don't have to walk further than 300 meters to get to the next, next free bike. And we do that by creating bonus zones and, and incentives for people to drop the bikes at the right location. So we kind of outsourced the, one of the biggest cost driver balancing of the fleets, plus also charging later on, because we can build um, charging stations at specific points uh, where we want people to put their bikes. So mm -hmm. we have outsourced operations largely to the co consumer and, and thereby can allow, you know, to have more premium high-end vehicles without, you know, the need of flooding markets. So that's kind of in a, in a nutshell what we do. And, and, and over the time, we, we learned that actually having those, those special zones, we call them bonus zones, are actually really interesting for companies, uh, corporates who want to, you know, uh, attract um, um, bikes or give an opportunity to, to employees to go to work for free or retail or hotels and so on who say, well, you know, I, I not only attract bikes, but also attract uh, customers, consumers who might buy, buy coffee or, or benefit otherwise from this. And, and already now we have an increasingly large number of revenue coming up from rides, but from these value added or additional services you offer. 
Great. So kind of okay, that's, well, that's I'd the... I'd love to dig into that. But just <laughs> yeah. before we go there, I, so can you give us some, some kind of numbers about, um, so which, which cities you operate in, um, the size of the fleet, and then, and, and then um, where you might be going uh, kind of in the very near future? So we start off in, in Switzerland, that's uh, Zurich and the capital Bern, um, where we, you know, um, spent the the first year to establish, uh, you know, our algorithm and, and everything. And we then went into to Helsinki, to the Nordics. We have uh, acquired a company in Belgium, where we also have small operations now. We are present in Munich with a few hundred bikes. And uh, I'm very proud to announce that we just launched in, in Hamburg together with uh, uh, free now uh, the the right hailing company that's very well known in in in, in Europe. Um, we are planning to go to more cities even this year. So we and our investors uh, agreed that we should um, spread you know the the good news and our models to more cities. We focus mainly on Europe at the moment. We have some talks with North America, Canada, US, but also with uh, some parts of of Asia. Mm, awesome. And um, the, the the free now uh, partnership that's um, that's an interesting model. That so free now is run by Daimler, if I'm if I'm if I remember correctly, is that correct? Well, it's it's a company founded by BMW and Daimler, but it's yeah. uh, it's kind of a standalone um, um, company. Of course, very strong investors in the background. Yeah, yeah, interesting. It's um at the when I was in Europe for the micromobility conference in Berlin. Um, we used FreeNow as a for, for I think it was was it FreeNow or DriveNow? DriveNow is the one that you can rent the cars uh, for like the the, the free floating cars, and we would hop in and drive across town and and all that sort of thing. Yes, they have different um, models, and and you know ShareNow is also another brand. But yep. we are partnering now with uh, FreeNow, which is more like Uber and Lyft ride hailing uh, in in its core. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Cool. Nice. Excellent. And so, as you as you mentioned, you're sort of in, in a number of these cities. Um, the the part that I was keen to understand is, um, so <clears throat> as you've expanded. Um, you've been able to bring these these new vehicles, these new kind of 45 kilometer an hour bikes, which is as far as I understand, I mean, Horace framed it uh, when we first had this conversation as the iPhone of micro-mobility because you're going premium end, the bikes are way nicer, um, and that they are, um, you know, they're for a more discerning customer. So I would love for you to kind of unpack that a little bit and just talk me through... Um, yeah, how how do what's different about the bikes um, over a standard model, and, and um, what makes them what makes them nice? So, so again, I I, uh, I don't really you know want just to only compare to to the other players, but if you are focusing on shorter distances, let's say uh, below a kilometer, which most of the kick scooters you know have in average um, uh, right the um, distance, you. You have people that don't want to walk too far to the next few vehicles. They have to make sure that you have a lot of those close. So the next one um, is always, you know, the one of your brand. If it's orange, it's orange. If it's green, it's green. And mm -hmm. because you do this um, and you want to put more and more vehicles, you have to you have to lower the bomb. You have to make sure that you can afford to bomb put many the vehicles. Materials yes. Um, the, yeah. yeah, they have to be cheaper and cheaper while kind of maintaining a minimum um, uh, level but the, the cheaper you can produce them the more you can put in essence so you're closer you the customer will pick you of course there are now other um, efforts to 
distinguish, differentiate, you know, amongst the kick scooters, but mainly they're all about the same. It's, it's, it's about having access and which one is the closest. Now, we chose a different path and saying, well, we, we, can't, we, we can't be in that game because, yeah, we have longer distance anyway, and we have this expensive high-speed vehicle. So what we have to do is we have to put more and more features and quality and, and, and experience into the vehicle so people would, you know, maybe skip the next kick scooter or bike, uh, the low-end bike, and say, I'm going to walk a little bit further to this really cool bike that's really exciting. And, and that's why we kind of put in premium um, components, why experience and power and, and the seamlessness is, is, is very high on our list. And this is kind of the, the outcome of what we have at the moment. We start off with, with Stromer bikes, which are really great retail bikes, but of course, they're not really built for fleets. We have now our own bike that is the, the, the same motor, the same experience, but much more um, sturdy, much more, you know, um, Made made for for fleet use, easier to repair and um, easier to operate, and so. Yeah, I, I've de- I've not run one of your new ones. I certainly have ridden a Stroma before, and as Por- uh, Horace calls them, the Porsche of e-bikes, and I, I I can only agree they're very 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 sporty and great fun. How does that compare to, in the minds of your customers, how do they how do these compare to mopeds? Because that's how I would think about it. Like, if I'm in a city, if I'm in a European city, and I had the choice between. Uh, I wanted to take something on that's going to be a little bit longer of a ride, and I had the choice between a moped and an, and one of your bikes, a sort of forty-five kilometer an hour speed pedelec. Um, that's mentally how I'd be thinking about it. I'd be comparing it to a moped, not a scooter. Oh, well, I I really like you know the analogy Horace used um, is is you have people taking the escalator to you know in airports and train station to go from one floor to the next, and most of them are standing on the right side and and wait until you know the stairs bring them up, and then you have those few people maybe I know ten percent that walk on on well in, in Switzerland it's the left side mostly the left side to yeah. you know be a little bit faster, so they take the power but they also invest some energy they are active they want to be in front and they're willing to put some energy inside and and what we find is that this is this is not just I mean, those are the customers you want because those are also the ones who tend to spend a little bit more they kind of they kind of engage more with the service and and the, the very extreme would be and uh, I like I like this analogy of Peloton or you know this home trainer where you have a really cool bike and you spend a lot of money but it takes you nowhere so yes. So that's kind of the extreme people. The job to be done is actually not just going from one to the next place, but actually having fun to do so, being active, have this smile. And I think that's a big difference from the experience point of view, the endorphins, the, more, the hormones you, you send out compared to, to mopeds or, or kick scooters and so on, which, you know, are fun, but, but they're not active. And mm-hmm. and the second thing is what we found, especially in, in Switzerland, where we don't have that many mopeds, everyone knows how to ride a bike. And, you know, you learn from childhood and, and, and you're very familiar how it works. And yes, this is a bike with a motor, but it's basically the same. But the hurdle, the people to go on a moped where you have throttle and, and it's a different way of, of riding, that's, that's kind of a step up and we find that many people kind of hesitate to try, you know, this big step up. They'd rather go on an e-bike and go a little bit faster and they're really excited than to try something completely new. Yeah, and, 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 and the other side is also operationally, it's just mopeds are so much more expensive than bikes. 
and to operate it's but that's really? more of operations because side. i would have thought that at this stage the bill of materials would be about the same for a good high-end e-bike versus an electric moped yeah but have you tried to change a tire on a moped and a bike have you tried to load a, a damaged um, moped into a truck or a bike you know it's also parking also a helmet for example you can use bike helmets on mopeds you need these full casket helmets which you can't really mm. adjust in size so there's a lot lot of small things that just make it so more difficult with mopeds to be operated yeah interesting yeah, yeah all of that sounds very fair in terms of who is riding your bikes how you know what's the demographics like well interesting you know we have I say, well, we have riders that are pretty, you know, young. You have, to, you have to have a riding license in most countries, so it starts at the age of 14. But really, most people are between 25 and 55. And before that and after that is kind of, you know, going down sharply. Mm-hmm. Um, we have about uh, less than a third female. I would like to increase that number, um, I think, because we're replacing all the public transit and we know female are, are you know, using public transit more often than, than male they should also be you know, they're wanting to ride bikes. Um, in Com, we have a lot of students that just you know ride for free because they use our bonus zone system, so they never pay. We have a lot of um, uh, more wealthier Wait, people. Does, so if you yeah? ride from a bo- into a bonus zone, you get the ride for free effectively? You get a ride for free or you get a, a, a coffee for free or you get some incentives. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and some people, they say, well, I, I'm going to walk a little, a little bit further but I'm going to help the system to be, you know, perfectly balanced. And that's, yeah, I, I, I get a free ride virtually. So it's, um, you, have, you, have, you have many people actually who never pay, but they help us to kind of do operations uh, indirectly. Mm. Mm. Um, Amazing. What, we've, what we did is uh, we had uh, this study from a psychologist of the University of Applied Science in Zurich looking at the, the profile, the personas uh, of our customers. And what we find is that we have three key characteristics and the biggest one we call them hunters they just want to go quickly from a to b they're fact oriented they they don't care about too much about bonus zones they they are willing to pay more but it's it's speed it's power it's control um it's also more male users in in that category we have about 20 percent on the other side that are gatherers that really enjoy the ride so the ride is more important than the destination they are emotional. They like to hear stories. They they really love bonus zones because they're it's more altruism. They're trying to help the system because they really like it. And then of course you have in between about twenty percent that are more opportunistic. That you know depending on the day and use case they'll either you know are more emotional or or fact driven. And the interesting part is these are not distinct separate you know characteristics, but they're like an onion. They're shell on shell. So everyone wants this quick power and control. But on top of that, some of them have stories and, and, and want to help others. Mm, mm. Great. Well, look, I, the, the part I also understand. So you're using, uh, with, those, with those new bikes that you have, you also have battery swaps. So that's, that's one of the kind of key, from an operational perspective, one of the interesting things that I found about your bikes. On average, you get um, 60, 80, 100 Ks out of a battery charge. Yeah, we have pretty big batteries. It's one kilowatt hour battery, which is quite a bit bigger than what you expect with other bikes or kick scooters. Um, we are changing batteries maybe once a week, every five days. Um, they're good for, depending on pe- temperature, if you go up or downhill, how much you pedal and so on. I'd say, yes, maybe 80 kilometers. Um, um, the thing is, 
we have now we are building this charging grid throughout the cities. Um, if you have bonus zones that are always at the same place, let's say an enterprise like uh, uh, and Google is is one of our customers here in Zurich. And they are having a bonus zones for their employees or guests, and they're building now a charging stations because it's always at the same place. And, and if you have a charging station, you have to make sure that, you know, once a week, the bike is not just being brought to that location, but also the people plug it in. And, uh, mm. and uh, uh, yeah, and charge the bike. And in this way, you, you never have to charge it. So, yes, we have swappable batteries, and we have, you know, our own bikes and with trailers that go around and swap Every, every now and then the battery but of course the goal the, the vision I have is to never do that again because um, bike that you have swap batteries it's it's twice cost for the battery you have to maintain it and so on the best is if you can outsource that to the customer as well yeah and so with these with these um, uh, uh, the charging zones in some ways it sounds to me like a docked <laughs> it's almost like we've gone back to a docked system, even though the docks themselves, they're, they're not docks, you know, per se, but they end up being agglomerations of, of demand and uh, 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 supply in one place. Um, what's the infrastructure now, like the infrastructure, how does that work? So someone rolls up and is it like a car parking space that's been retrofitted and now it's only dedicated for bond bikes or how does that work? Well, what, what I believe in is giving options to the customers. So yes, you, you, can you know park at one of those dedicated places? You get an incentive. You get a free ride. You get you know maybe a coffee or something else. But you don't have to. If you you know if you you can park them anywhere you want, and you you pay the regular fee. And I think many of our customers do that. They don't they don't want to walk. They take the bike and they pay for it, and they just want to go to their destination. If you if you are playing the system right, you get an incentive. You don't have to pay. And, and and we may you now have these virtual bonus zones where you just place them at destinations or and they can you know can be dynamic because they're depending on demand um, and supply they're at different places or you have those fixed ones which are paid by corporates and and those of course you can uh, you can have designated places what we find is of course if it's possible to build a charging station that kind of is very easy for customers to spot and it's also very intuitive to you know plug them in and get an incentive so that's a big help. But there's just a station you can maybe park, you know, four bikes. So we don't have more than a couple, two, three bikes because we want the bikes not to be parked, but to be used all the time. And and this yep. is, I mean, if there's no bike at a charging station because of our system, you don't have to walk very far, maybe a couple of hundred meters and you get your next bike. So this is kind of yep. the, the thing. I'm, I'm, I've seen a lot of those dockings um, stations where, you know, most of the bikes are just there and not being used and they're always at the wrong place. In the morning, everyone used them at the train station and in the evening, you know, everyone brings them back to the train station. But what are you doing during the day? So they have buses carrying the bikes forth and back and try to balance the fleet. We kind of uh, got around of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so talk me through these, these new vehicles. Um, uh, as you mentioned before, you used to run Stromers, which I thought were amazing. Um, and now you're running your own bikes and they're pretty similar in the sense of the, but, but you've kind of designed them for you for, for specifically for sharing. So, uh, is that you talk me through that journey of, of design and making your own bikes. So we have uh, quite some experience. We have started in 2016, so we kind of know what users look for, what, you know, breaks often and so on. And we put everything together and thought of, okay, how shall a new bike look like? 
Um, for example, with a strom right now, if you notice, you can you have buttons to change the level of, of motor assist. So if you you know feel lazy, you can say full throttle, um, uh, maximum assist, or you can say no, I, I want to do sports. Let's let's reduce it to level one, for example, and put in more energy. What he found is like 98% of people always use maximum assist. They pay for it. They want to, you know, be fast. They they don't need this option. And so we remove that option. We save a couple of hundred dollars actually doing so because it's very specific. It breaks often and so on. And you don't lose any, you know, experience. No, most people don't even notice that you now can only have the maximum assist. And that's one thing. And mm. um, other things are, you know, energy recuperation, which people like, but it also saves battery. Um, it's it's a lot about safety. Um, our tires are, are thicker than the tram tracks in the cities we operate. This is um, often uh, yes. many accidents happen because your tires get caught in in the, in the tracks of train or trams, which you know are little things that are really important because it it increases safety. It's not hard to do, but you you learn about this. If your tires are not thick enough, then you you get into uh, into problems. Um, mm. there's, there's, so there's a lot of a lot of things you learn about vandalism, about repairing stuff, about safety, about features. Some people, um, you, you know, really like the the. We have this very easy adjustable um, saddle height. Um, so you just press the bottom. It's like an office chair, and you can you know automatically lift it up or go down. So you don't have to unscrew. Mm. You don't have to. Uh, do any mechanical work, which is very convenient. People love it, and they actually call us up and say, "Can I also buy one for my private bike?" and so on. So, there's a lot of mm-hmm. small things, but also larger things, like I explained the battery. We bought a company um, called Emotion Lab earlier on, um, which is very important because it's not just the mechanics of the bike; it's about the brain, the, the electronics, the, the the smartness. As I explained, we put a lot of effort into building incentive systems, machine learning algorithms, and so on. So you also have to have very intelligent bikes that can handle a lot of data that that you know actually um, what you do. You can change the motor behavior. You can tune everything in the bike. But for that, you need full control. We are partnering today for the communication module um, uh, with, with a company called Particle, you, you might know, um, and, and yes, other yes. partners. But it's it's not just the communication; it's the, the the motor controller, it's the battery management system. So there's a lot of stuff you you have to really be able to control and and to optimize. So having everything um, in in one in one company allows you to really get the best experience uh, you want. It's maybe comparable with um, you know um, Android phones. You have Samsung phones or LG phones and others. They might have the best camera, the best screens, and so on. What makes iPhone great is that everything works together seamless and they have control of the whole stack. So uh, yes. you might not have you know, the best components, but it's the overall best package and people are willing to pay more for it because they're paying for the experience and not just having the best camera. Um, and I'm talking about the 30% of the people, the customers we want to attract. We don't necessarily want to go into the, the mass market where you know everyone can, can have our bikes. So there's kind of, yeah, you have to either invest energy or play with the system or pay a bit more if you don't want to park at one of our bonus zones. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Um, <clears throat> I want to talk about the, the company formation part around, obviously, the vehicle and the operations, which is, um, you know, when I originally interviewed Corinne, um, you were fundraising or you were in the process, sorry, you weren't, you, you, you were looking to raise some money, um, 
actually you you kind of did a crowdsourcing uh, thing with with uh, some of your new customers as you expanded into burn but then over time you've raised some money and i think if i if i remember correctly you raised about 20 20 mil that's correct Is yes that right? yeah yeah U- U- us dollars um and um I, you know take me through that journey because you've obviously you're quite different from a lot of the other micromobility players and and yet this market has kind of gone through this very big hype cycle there was nearly a couple of you know there's nearly a couple of billion dollars raised into this into this market and yet um it's also that in some ways i think that's been kind of disadvantageous over time as you've kind of realized that a lot of these companies have been not able to operate because of covid and they've also kind of gone through this very period of this period of insane hyper growth but then they've hit sort of natural limits in terms of how much they can scale um how have you thought about the fundraising journey and how how have you found it um as you've been doing it yeah well it, it was always clear that um you need money to to bring this up to you know a level where you know a kind of scale uh, kick in. Um, so just operating one or two Swiss cities, that's, that's nice, but it's not going to be sustainable. So we knew we had to get more money to expand to more cities, to build also our own bike, to really build our own backend system and so on, to have the full stack control, as I just be explained before. And the question is how to do that. This one um, thing, if you get equity and you spend it on vehicles, that's maybe not the, the best way to use equity, um, high-risk capital. So there are there are other ways of financing, like bank loans, venture debt, or, and that's that's the best way to do it, is actually having your customers pay for for the assets. Because then what, what we did offer in, in Bern, when we did the first crowd lending, we raised half a million within 24 hours. So it's the fastest crowd lending ever in Switzerland. Um, and, and we had to cap it because we, we can't take more money just for Bern. And we did that mm. saying, and we had a lot of fans, they knew our vehicle, they really loved it and say, well, yes, I'm... I'm you know, I'm going to invest in this. We have like investor and fan. I'm going to invest in this company because I live in the story. But also if something doesn't work out, I have the bike as a collateral. So they're kind of paying money. Mm-hmm. I think the, the smallest ticket was $5,000. And, and you know, they're, they're, they're kind of buying access. And in case we don't succeed and we have to go into bankruptcy, they'll get the bike they, they, they kind of sponsored. So that's kind of the deal they had, which is, you know, if everything turns bad, well, I at least get a bike out of it. And we have seen many people who said, this is great story. We want you to come to Bern. That's why I'm going to put in money. Um, that's, of, of course, you can only do that with premium vehicles that people really enjoy, that they're willing to, you know, to invest money and get this as a return. Um, I think it's, it's more difficult if you have a, a low value vehicles that are more commodity and peop, the willingness to to give you money to do something is maybe not not as high. So we kind of leverage that. <laughs> I end up with this piece of crap and I don't want it. And yeah, yeah why should I put, you know, because no one knew, especially back then, this was 2018, you know, if this is going to be a big success, how you know, long we're going to survive and, and so on. So yeah, we, we were very successful. And of course, we are trying to do this now, now again with the new season we go into. So we just launched the Indiegogo campaign um, for our new Bond Brava. We have many people who tried our bike in the cities we operate and they really love it and say, can I also buy one? And now we decide, okay, let's make a retail version out of it. And we're gonna, we're, we're just putting a hundred bikes on Indiegogo. So people who really want one can have one now for, for, for their own. But of course, if you buy a bike, you also get access to our fleet. So that's kind of this owned and, and shared combination that we can offer because we, we have a free floating system in, in the cities. And I think that's also reflecting um, 
the what people really look look for is they want to have access. Sometimes, you know, they want to have their own bike and, and go for a long leisure ride and, and they know they're going to go back and the other ones are more spontaneous use. If it's to go downtown, if it starts raining, they want to take maybe a taxi or public transit back home and so on. So this owning um, and, and, and having, um, you know, exclusive access at the same time being spontaneous, this combination we're trying to uh, check out with our uh, Indiegogo campaign we're running at the moment. Yeah, awesome. Um, and, and, and talk me through the financing um, aspect in terms of what you've used that 20 mil, 20 mil for. Is it just for the, exp- like, just the, obviously, you've got a bit in on the expansion, you've got a bit on the, uh, on the new bike. Um, do, you, do you foresee having to continue to raise capital to be, or is there a kind of a natural inflection point at which the business sort of turns and says, yep, no, we're profitable enough, we can continue to just grow off our, off our existing revenue? So when we started in 2016, it, it was uh, basically self-funded for the, the first couple of years um, where we you know, tried um, our idea and the market access and we had a huge impact and customer loved us. And we knew now, you know, this, the, the version we had with the Stromer bikes, you couldn't scale. Um, so we said, let's find investors who believe in the story, but bring us to the next level. Because now you have a system that is replicable, that you can really scale. This is not just the vehicle or backend system, it's also the team. We were like 12 people when we started. No way you can go international with, with 12 people. And we want to, you know, build the team slow enough so you can have a common culture that the same beliefs and, 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 and attract good people as you go. I think... Um, we, we got the fundraising um, early 2019. Now, one year later, we are ready. We have a team that is scalable. We have a partner network. We have supply chain. We have backend system. And so now we're looking for the next financing round to really expand our model to as many cities as, as it makes sense. Um, and this we just uh, started a, a few weeks ago to, to talk to investors very directly about you know this new B round financing. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Cool. And and then talk me through where you're at from um, with COVID. So so you've, we've had this whole uh, you know this year. Well, it was September now. So it's seven months in really since the sort of the the big stuff um, started to fall. Um, uh, and and um, yeah, we're, we're, you know, what are you seeing in terms of utilization or trip distance or other things? That it's very <laughs> interesting. Um, we see different effects. So, for example, trips, trip distance went lo- uh, grew longer. We have uh, more end-to-end trips in the city, so less in combination with transit than before. We always had a lot of end-to-end trips in the city, uh, and but we've seen, for example, kick scooters that really strongly rely on public transit stations. So, if there's no public transit because people don't use them anymore, there's almost no usage for 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 kick scooter or station-based bikes. Um, we had actually uh, first before the lockdown, lockdown was in March, we had an increase in utilization. After lockdown, no one is going out. So we also had a big drop, big drop for us. It was around 30% going down. It It's not as bad as with the others, which when we've seen, you know, kick scooters were completely off the streets in, in Zurich and other cities. Um, ride hailing was really, I think, minus 80%, almost zero. Um, so we are we haven't been that low. We have been recuperating. We expected to go even higher um, this year than we have been before. In the cities we operate, we still see that about fifty percent. We get this uh, data from Google and Apple. About fifty percent lower commutes to business places, and this is our biggest segments. Are people regularly taking the bike 
to to go to work and so on. And we still see that most of them are working from home or using different uh, commuting options. So the B2C is kind of a mixed bag with, yeah, we have more rides on weekends, longer trips. Um, we initially had more utilization. You went down, it's going back up, but it's not, you know, exploding as we see with with the, the ownership or ridership of bikes. So the bike usage is up tremendously, I think, 150% just in Zurich and it's comparable with other cities. Um, but ride sharing is almost, you know, back to what it was last year, but it's not like exploding like the rest. So what we did is kind of we added a new business, um, businesses like the, the B2B, which is doing very well, um, dedicated fleets for businesses, enterprise, um, you know, packages, we call this, and also bike sales. So we started to sell bikes directly. And as I explained earlier, this combination of selling bikes, but also offering service, which is a pretty good hit. Um, it's very hard to get good bikes. We have a lot of bikes, so we're starting now also to sell them to, to customers. So it's kind of a, mm. a, a small pivot inside, um, shifting to different revenue sources while also taking care and looking closely how the utilization of the sharing part is developing. Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, to hear you say um, that, that, that you, uh, people were predominantly using the bikes for commutes. Yeah, it's about, I mean, <laughs> we hear this, uh, we have peaks in the mornings and evenings, like typical commutes. We don't have as many rides during the weekends, which now increased during mm-hmm. COVID times. So you can see that people are really using the bikes to go to work. We, we did some uh, um, surveys and they kind of confirmed that. Um, and, and just as an example, we sent out 1,400 questionnaires and we got 1,100 questionnaires back. So you see how big wow. the, the, I think it's unseen um, in, 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 in most people in marketing I talk to having um, return rates this high is, is really incredible. Uh, and they kind of yeah, confirmed us, I, yes, I use the bike to go to work or in combination with, with work and, and, and about a third is just using it for leisure trips or, or you know, tourism and, and these kind of things. And this, if no one goes uh, to work because they're working from home, of course, our bikes aren't used as often. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's amazing. That's a, that's a very high level of return. Um, the, the partnership that you talked about, the, the one with free now, um, obviously you're expanding into a bunch more cities, um, which is quite exciting. Um, how have you thought about the, the integration with public transport or mobility as a service platforms, et cetera? Obviously this is the, is this the first partnership that you've done in this space? It's the first one um, with a ride-hailing company. Um, what we've already done is with uh, more traditional uh, mass um, integrators, for example, WIM um, from Mass Global or Free to Move and, and, and others. Um, I think, and I, I had very good discussions also with Sampo, um, the CEO of, of Mass Global, is, you know, I see myself as... As, as, as really good content, um, let's say Game of Thrones or House of Cards in, in terms of, of, you know, series, but you need integrators like Netflix or HBO who kind of plugs in different really good content and offers, you know, portfolio. And, and, and you can debate, are people, you know, um, subscribing to Netflix be, because of House of Cards or, 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 or is it the other way around? Because they're a member of Netflix, they might also watch out of course. So I think it, it goes both ways. And the same is in mobility. We are focusing on something we can really do well, which is our bikes, our service, our excitement. But the discovery, how people get to our bike, how they book it, I think it's not that important. 
um, as long as they have the options, they'll take it. In in terms of free now, I think this is a really good partnership because we kind of combine combine different worlds. Um, a car is really great for certain things if you're a you know longer distance, if it's raining, if you know you have been drinking and so on. You want wanna wanna take a free now taxi. Um, on on the other side, if you you know wanna be quick, you don't you know where you're going and you don't want to wait too long and you want to maybe have a cheaper ride maybe the bike is the the, the better option and um i think yeah it's a combination that the people really want yeah totally and, and told me that the the cost per minute what does that make you cheaper more expensive than um and, and kind of where do you see yourself in that competitive landscape so where are you kind of best suited it sounds like you're at about the five kilometer you know, a trip length of about five kilometers, you're going to be a good cost-effective option. Um, so we we switched yeah. and we don't charge per minute because I don't believe that's what people want to pay for. They want to pay for the distance. They want to go from A to B and they want to pay about the same price independent if there's, you know, traffic jam or, or slow traffic or, or whatever. And it should be every day when they're commuting about the same price. So I was on a question, why... Why do we people charge per minute? And of course, this is much easier because you can count minutes easier than this. And especially if you have, you know, kick scooters with very small wheels, it's it's uh, and GPS is not is not that reliable. Okay, let's switch to minutes. But since we have you know proper bikes, we have good communication modules and so on, um, we can charge per distance. And people really like this because if I don't know if you have noticed this, if you're at the traffic light and you're on on a kick scooter or on a station bus and you pay per minute. You really get anxious. You want to, you know, you're paying for it. You see the clock ticking. So you say, don't worry, paper prime per distance. If you arrive at your destination, take your time and park, put your helmet back and so on. You're not going to pay for it. So that's that's why I'm, if you now, you know, um, make average uh, calculations, it's, it's um, depending on the city, we have different prices. It's 89 cents here in Zurich per kilometer. If you translate this to these four kilometers uh, in average, you know, or five kilometers in average, it's about... Um, you, you know, four dollars. We have subscriptions where you paid half the price, so anywhere between two to four dollars per trip. But mind you, the trip is about four times as long as if it, it would be on a kick scooter. It's about a trip you would have on a on a taxi or something. So it's it's if if, if per trip we're kind of comparable with most others, but you can do much more in the same trip. So I think that's. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so if you say where do we stand? Yeah, we're probably too cheap on a on on a distance base um, compared to taxis. Even cheaper than most transits. But um, yeah, people we don't necessarily just want the people to pay for the rides because, as I explained, we want them to go to places. We want we want the transaction at the end. And if they go to Starbucks or McDonald's. They might buy a coffee or a burger, and we want to participate at all those transactions because that's what the customer really wants. He doesn't want to ride. He wants to go somewhere and do something. And this is where the story plays. And and the thing before, it's just the utility. It's kind of interchangeable, and you have to make it exciting and so on. But it's only part of the whole story. Mm. Um, I love the, 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 I mean, between 2 and $4 per trip, you know that that can count up, but I but I also feel as well that it's the um, you know yeah it, well yeah at 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 a cost of two euros a trip or two dollars a trip if if it's if it ends up being consistent consistently the same price because you know the distance um, 
I could see people going, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to integrate that into my, uh, into my, into my kind of daily, daily arrangement. Um, and then it becomes a question of like making sure that you always have the vehicle and being able to reliably get a vehicle when you need one. Yes. Yes. Um, and how, how, how can you guarantee that at the moment for someone who says, I might want to use this for my commute? Well, first of all, if you're a regular customer, you're trying, uh, probably buying one of our subscriptions with, uh, you know, free allowances. Um, this is, uh, we relaunched this few months back. We have a relaunch with the new subscriptions. And uh, I'm very proud to say 50% of our customers bought a subscription. Maybe we were too cheap there as well. But this shows the loyalty. Yeah. Once you try our service, you have a return rate of 86%. So once you try our service, you're going to come back. You're, you say, this was so great. I'm, I'm going to use it again and again. And, and people who regularly use it, they're not paying per distance. And those are the customers I want. I want subscribers. I want, like gyms, you buy a subscription, but you go maybe once or twice in January, but the rest of the year you stay home. Those are my favorite customers. And we managed to get a lot of those customers because they're really buying to the, the Bond family. They want to be part of this optionality. They might not even use it, but, you know, I buy a subscription. I can, I can use whenever I want. So to your... Second question is how can we guarantee? We can't guarantee. What you can guarantee is that you don't have to walk too far to the next bike. There's always going to be one around. It's not maybe not in front of your door, but if you're willing to walk a couple of hundred meters, you're going to find one. And we're going to tell you where it is. We are very precise GPS. We, we can kind of, and we have sensors and we, we have a very active community. So if a bike is broken, we, we take it off the grid. So we always know where it is. Um, so we don't guarantee, and we have, you know, we had a, this one outage uh, a few weeks back where the uh, one of our suppliers had a, a database issue, so we had no bikes available, and we got a lot of calls. In the morning, people already, you can see they're relying on our service, and if it doesn't run, they call us and say, why, why is there no bike? What can you offer me as an alternative and so on? So we're discussing now also to, to uh, with insurance companies to... Um, you know, give this insurance in case we don't have bikes, we're going to offer you a free taxi or free, uh, you know, Uber or Lyft or, or free now uh, in, mm. in case of, of, uh, of the cities you operate in. So this is kind of, um, yes, we can't guarantee, but we can give you options and alternatives. And we have great partners also in the insurance side who work on deals that make this happen. So I think yeah. what people want, they want a safety, but, you know, it's it's like... It's like transit. There might be, you know, train not running, but you know, there's going to be a next one, and and you you, you kind of give it, but you 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 want to be taken care of. I think that's what people are looking for. Yeah, um, the one part when you say you know you can walk to it and it's within a couple of hundred meters, that's that strikes me as only really working in nice, highly dense European cities. Um, and as you talk about expanding internationally, what are you? I I can think that there's sort of there's a pretty rapid um, decline, you know, you kind of drop off a cliff a little bit in terms of what cities are also similar to that. Because if you look at the built form of, you know, I don't know, the US or, you know, other other, other cities and um, around the world, there aren't that many. Europe is kind of quite an interesting and unique built form, um, whereas a lot of the other countries don't have that. Um, how are you, you know, obviously that's going to change as you go further out and maybe you'll have an adjustment to your business model so that you, for example, are selling or doing longer term rentals with these folks or other things. Are you, any, any kind of insight that you can share around how you're thinking about that as, as you look to it? Well, we have been in, in Bern 
and and if people know Bern or Zurich, they're not really highly dense um, in compared to any big city. So Paris, uh, Munich, Berlin, um, London, they're they're huge. I mean, Bern has uh, three hundred thousand people living in Bern. It's pretty. Mm. <laughs> it's probably a big town it's for dense in the sense of like yeah it's not that big but it's dense in the sense it's not super sprawled out, well most of know. the houses are like two maybe three stories high so it's not really dense and mm. um, what we are doing is and of course i think this is what you're touching on also we are not really yes you can start to have different um, business models and so on but we're, what we're doing is doing um, since everything is electronic, we do islands of geofences. So we kind of connect towns. Um, in Bern, you have downtown, the whole city is you know, inside a geofence, but you have some smaller urban um, centers outside. There's maybe a couple of kilometers away that have their own small geofence. So you can park at those hubs, uh, but not in between, which makes, of course, then the density high enough. And of course, we include university campuses or big corporate campuses as kind of those geofence hubs, and we kind of connect these urban urban villages we call uh, to one bigger um, ecosystem, which works quite well without you know putting too many um, vehicles on the ground. Um, mm. Yes, uh, I think Europe is 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 already really big. I mean, if you manage to you know be in all major cities in Europe, that's already huge. Um, we we have been looking at different U.S. cities. We have been looking at cities like Singapore or Korean cities or Japanese cities. They all match the profile pretty well. So, um, yes, it might not work everywhere, but uh, if you go down to the size of Bern, I think there are several thousand of possible cities where, you know, all the permits might work. Mm. Cool. Um, and one final one before we before we finish up, but where did the name Bond come from? Bond um, is, is you know, expressing the power and smartness and so on. It stands for bike on demand, um, which is what people want. They want to have a vehicle when they need it um, for their, their job to be done. So, yes, Bond is also, you know, we're thinking of bonding people or parts of cities together to a bigger ecosystem. But it also stands uh, for the bike on demand. So it's a combination of both. Of course, having a short, yeah. really easy to remember uh, memorable um, a name that that kind of helps as well well you've fallen into the trap of having a four letter uh you know uh, micro mobility startup name yes yes, <laughs> like, yes no another one yes. oh okay very good no no i did i i like it i actually like that story this is it's, it's nice uh, bike on demand is, is definitely cool but i also like that idea of bonding cities it's great um excellent well hey well thank you so much for your time um it's been great to great to catch up and um for um, folks who might want to track you down, are you on are you on uh, Twitter or how would they how would they track you down if they're interested in having a further chat? Yeah, twin Twitter, LinkedIn, um, or just you know write me a mail, Raoul at bond info. That's all works. Excellent, excellent, um, great. Well, look, thank you so much, and uh, look forward to having you on in this in the future sometime. Yeah, thanks a lot for your time. Cheers. Bye, bye.